part two chapter two of a key to uncle tom's cabin by harriet beecher stowe this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit us at LibriVox.org. recording by michelle fry baton rouge louisiana chapter two what is slavery the author will now enter into a consideration of slavery as it stands revealed in slave law what is it according to the definition of law books and of legal interpreters a slave says the law of louisiana civil code article thirty five is one who is in the power of a master to whom he belongs the master may sell him dispose of his person his industry and his labor he can do nothing possess nothing nor acquire anything but what must belong to his master south carolina says slaves shall be deemed sold taken reputed and adjudged in law to be chattels personal in the hands of their owners and possessors and their executors administrators and assigns to all intents constructions and purposes whatever to brevard's digest two twenty nine prince's digest four forty six the law of georgia is similar let the reader reflect on the extent of the meaning of this last clause judge ruffin pronouncing the opinion of the supreme court of north carolina says a slave is one doomed in his own person and his posterity to live without knowledge and without the capacity to make anything his own and to toil that another may reap the fruits wheeler's law of slavery two forty six state versus man this is what slavery is this is what it is to be a slave the slave code then of the southern states is designed to keep millions of human beings in the condition of chattels personal to keep them in a condition in which the master may sell them dispose of their time person and labor in which they can do nothing possess nothing and acquire nothing except for the benefit of the master in which they are all doomed in themselves and in their posterity to live without knowledge without the power to make anything their own to toil that another may reap the laws of the slave code are designed to work out this problem consistently with the peace of the community and the safety of that superior race which is constantly to perpetrate this outrage from this simple statement of what the laws of slavery are designed to do from a consideration that the class thus to be reduced and oppressed and made the subjects of a perpetual robbery are men of like passions with our own men originally made in the image of god as much as ourselves men partakers of that same humanity of which jesus christ is the highest ideal and expression when we consider that the material thus to be acted upon is that fearfully explosive element the soul of man that soul elastic upspringing immortal whose free will even the omnipotence of god refuses to coerce we may form some idea of the tremendous force which is necessary to keep this mightiest of elements in a state of repression which is contemplated in the definition of slavery of course the system necessary to consummate and perpetuate such a work from age to age must be a fearfully stringent one and our readers will find that it is so 
men who make the laws and men who interpret them may be fully sensible of their terrible severity and inhumanity but if they are going to preserve the thing they have no resource but to make the laws and to execute them faithfully after they are made they may say with the honorable judge ruffin of north carolina when solemnly from the bench announcing this great foundation principle of slavery that the power of the master must be absolute to render the submission of the slave perfect they may say with him i most freely confess my sense of the harshness of this proposition i feel it as deeply as any man can and as a principle of moral right every person in his retirement must repudiate it but they will also be obliged to add with him but in the actual condition of things it must be so this discipline belongs to the state of slavery it is inherent in the relation of master and slave and like judge ruffin men of honor men of humanity men of kindest and gentlest feelings are obliged to interpret these severe laws with inflexible severity in the perpetual reaction of that awful force of human passion and human will which necessarily meets the compressive power of slavery in that seething boiling tide never wholly repressed which rolls its volcanic stream underneath the whole framework of society so constituted ready to find vent at the least rent or fissure or unguarded aperture there is a constant necessity which urges to severity of law and inflexibility of execution so judge ruffin says we cannot allow the rights of the matter to be brought into discussion in the courts of justice the slave to remain a slave must be made sensible that there is no appeal from his master accordingly we find in the more southern states where the slave population is most accumulated and slave property most necessary and valuable and of course the determination to abide by the system the most decided there the enactments are most severe and the interpretation of courts the most inflexible footnote we accept the state of louisiana owing to the influence of the french code in that state more really humane provisions prevail there how much these provisions avail in point of fact will be shown when we come to that part of the subject End of footnote and when legal decisions of a contrary character begin to be made it would appear that it is a symptom of leaning towards emancipation so abhorrent is the slave code to every feeling of humanity that just as soon as there is any hesitancy in the community about perpetuating the institution of slavery judges begin to listen to the voice of their more honorable nature and by favorable interpretations to soften its necessary severities such decisions do not commend themselves to the professional admiration of legal gentlemen but in the workings of the slave system when the irresponsible power which it guarantees comes to be used by men of the most brutal nature cases sometimes arise for trial where the consistent exposition of the law involves results so loathsome and frightful that the judge prefers to be illogical rather than inhuman like a spring out gushing in the desert some noble man now and then from the fullness of his own better nature throws out a legal decision generously inconsistent with every principle and precedent of slave jurisprudence and we bless god for it 
all we wish is that there were more of them for then should we hope that a day of redemption was drawing nigh the reader is now prepared to enter with us on the proof of this proposition that the slave code is designed only for the security of the master and not with regard to the welfare of the slave this is implied in the whole current of law-making and law-administration and is often asserted in distinct form with a precision and clearness of legal accuracy which in a literary point of view is quite admirable thus judge ruffin after stating that considerations restricting the power of the master had often been drawn from a comparison of slavery with the relation of parent and child master and apprentice tutor and pupil says distinctly wheeler's law of slavery page two forty six the court does not recognize their application there is no likeness between the cases they are in opposition to each other and there is an impassable gulf between them wheeler's law of slavery page two thirty nine in the one case the end in view is the happiness of the youth born to equal rights with that governor on whom the duty devolves of training the young to usefulness in the station which he is afterward to assume among freemen with slavery it is far otherwise the end is the profit of the master his security and the public safety not only is this principle distinctly asserted in so many words here but it is more distinctly implied in multitudes of arguings and reasonings which are given as ground of legal decisions even such provisions as seem to be for the benefit of the slave we often find carefully interpreted so as to show that it is only on account of his property value to his master that he is thus protected and not from any consideration of humanity towards himself thus it has been decided that a master can bring no action for assault and battery on his slave unless the injury be such as to produce a loss of service the spirit in which this question is discussed is worthy of remark we give a brief statement of the case as presented in wheeler page two thirty nine cornfute versus dale april term eighteen hundred it was an action for assault and battery committed by dale on one cornfute's slave it was contended by cornfute's counsel that it was not necessary to prove loss of service in order that the action should be sustained that an action might be supported for beating plaintiff's horse and that the lord might have an action for the battery of his villain which is founded on this principle that as the villain could not support the action the injury would be without redress unless the lord could on the other side it was said that lord chief justice raymond had decided that an assault on a horse was no cause of action unless accompanied with a special damage of the animal which would impair his value chief justice chase decided that no redress could be obtained in the case because the value of the slave had not been impaired and without injury or wrong to the master no action could be sustained and assigned this among other reasons for it that there was no reciprocity in the case as the master was not liable for assault and battery committed by his slave neither could he gain redress for one committed upon his slave let any reader now imagine what an amount of wanton cruelty and indignity may be heaped upon a slave man or woman or child without actually impairing their power to do service to the master and he will have a full sense of the cruelty of this decision 
in the same spirit it has been held in north carolina that patrols night watchmen are not liable to the master for inflicting punishment on the slave unless their conduct clearly demonstrates malice against the master tate versus o'neill one hawks four eighteen u s digest supplement two page seven ninety seven section one twenty one and state versus manner abbreviation to hills rep four fifty three the cool-bloodedness of some of these legal discussions is forcibly shown by two decisions in wheeler's law of slavery page two forty three on the question whether the criminal offence of assault and battery can be committed on a slave there are two decisions of the two states of south and north carolina and it is difficult to say which of these decisions has the preeminence for cool legal inhumanity that of south carolina reads thus judge o'neill says the criminal offence of assault and battery cannot at common law be committed upon the person of a slave for notwithstanding for some purposes a slave is regarded by law as a person yet generally he is mere chattel personal and his right of personal protection belongs to his master who can maintain an action of trespass for the battery of his slave there can be therefore no offence against the state for a mere beating of a slave unaccompanied with any circumstance of cruelty or an attempt to kill and murder the peace of the state is not thereby broken for a slave is not generally regarded as legally capable of being within the peace of the state he is not a citizen and is not that the character entitled to her protection End quote. what declaration of the utter indifference of the state to the sufferings of the slave could be more elegantly cool and clear but in north carolina it appears that the case is argued still more elaborately in state versus hale wheeler page two thirty nine chief justice taylor thus shows that after all there are reasons why an assault and battery upon the slave may on the whole have some such general connection with the comfort and security of the community that it may be construed into a breach of the peace and should be treated as an indictable offence quoting the revised code four forty eight the instinct of a slave may be and generally is tamed into subservience to his master's will and from him he receives chastisement whether it be merited or not with perfect submission for he knows the extent of the dominion assumed over him and that the law ratifies the claim but when the same authority is wantonly usurped by a stranger nature is disposed to assert her rights and to prompt the slave to a resistance often momentarily successful sometimes fatally so the public peace is thus broken as much as if a free man had been beaten for the party of the aggressor is always the strongest and such contests usually terminate by overpowering the slave and inflicting on him a severe chastisement without regard to the original cause of the conflict there is consequently as much reason for making such offences indictable as if a white man had been the victim a wanton injury committed on a slave is a great provocation to the owner awakens his resentment and has a direct tendency to a breach of the peace by inciting him to seek immediate vengeance if resented in the heat of blood 
it would probably extenuate a homicide to manslaughter upon the same principle with the case stated by lord hale that if a riding on the road b had whipped his horse out of the track and then a had alighted and killed b these offences are usually committed by men of dissolute habits hanging loose upon society who being repelled from association with well-disposed citizens take refuge in the company of colored persons and slaves whom they deprave by their example emboldened by their familiarity and then beat under the expectation that a slave dare not resent a blow from a white man if such offences may be committed with impunity the public peace will not only be rendered extremely insecure but the value of slave property must be much impaired for the offenders can seldom make any reparation in damages nor is it necessary in any case that a person who has received an injury real or imaginary from a slave should carve out his own justice for the law has made ample and summary provision for the punishment of all trivial offences committed by slaves by carrying them before a justice who is authorized to pass sentence for their being publicly whipped this provision while it excludes the necessity of private vengeance would seem to forbid its legality since it effectually protects all persons from the insolence of slaves even where their masters are unwilling to correct them upon complaint being made the common law has often been called into efficient operation for the punishment of public cruelty afflicted upon animals for needless and wanton barbarity exercised even by masters upon their slaves and for various violations of decency morals and comfort reason and analogy seem to require that a human being although the subject of property should be so far protected as the public might be injured through him for all purposes necessary to enforce the obedience of the slave and to render him useful as property the law secures to the master a complete authority over him and it will not lightly interfere with the relation thus established it is a more effectual guarantee of his right of property when the slave is protected from wanton abuse from those who have no power over him for it cannot be disputed that a slave is rendered less capable of performing his master's service when he finds himself exposed by the law to the capricious violence of every turbulent man in the community if this is not a scrupulous disclaimer of all humane intention in the decision as far as the slave is concerned and an explicit declaration that he is protected only out of regard to the comfort of the community and his property value to his master it is difficult to see how such a declaration could be made after all this cool-blooded course of remark it is somewhat curious to come upon the following certainly most unexpected declaration which occurs in the very next paragraph Quote, mitigated as slavery is by the humanity of our laws the refinement of manners and by public opinion which revolts at every instance of cruelty towards them it would be an anomaly in the system of police which affects them if the offence stated in the verdict were not indictable the reader will please to notice that this remarkable declaration is made of the state of north carolina 
we shall have occasion again to refer to it by and by when we extract from the statute book of north carolina some specimens of these humane laws in the same spirit it is decided under the law of louisiana that if an individual injures another's slave so as to make him entirely useless and the owner recovers from him the full value of the slave the slave by that act becomes thenceforth the property of the person who injured him a decision to this effect is given in wheeler's law of slavery page two forty nine a woman sued for an injury done her slave by the slave of the defendant the injury was such as to render him entirely useless his only eye being put out the parish court decreed that she should recover twelve hundred dollars that the defendant should pay a further sum of twenty five dollars a month from the time of the injury also the physician's bill and two hundred dollars for the sustenance of the slave during his life and that he should remain forever in the possession of his mistress jordan versus patton july term eighteen eighteen the case was appealed the judge reversed the decision and delivered the slave into the possession of the man whose slave had committed the outrage in the course of the decision the judge remarks with that calm legal explicitness for which many decisions of this kind are remarkable that quote, the principle of humanity which would lead us to suppose that the mistress whom he had long served would treat her miserable blind slave with more kindness than the defendant to whom the judgment ought to transfer him cannot be taken into consideration in deciding this case End quote. another case reported in wheeler's law page one ninety eight the author thus summarily abridges it is dorothea versus coquillon et al a young girl by will of her mistress was to have her freedom at twenty-one and it was required by the will that in the meantime she should be educated in such a manner as to enable her to earn her living when free her services in the meantime being bequeathed to the daughter of the defendant her mother a free woman entered complaint that no care was taken of the child's education and that she was cruelly treated the prayer of the petition was that the child be declared free at twenty-one and in the meantime hired out by the sheriff the suit was decided against the mother on this ground that she could not sue for her daughter in a case where the daughter could not sue for herself were she of age the object of the suit being relief from ill-treatment during the time of her slavery which a slave cannot sue for observe now the following case of jennings versus funderburg it seems jennings brings an action of trespass against funderburg for killing his slave the case was thus funderburg with others being out hunting runaway negroes surprised them in their camp and as the report says fired his gun towards them as they were running away to induce them to stop one of them being shot through the head was thus induced to stop and the master of the boy brought action for trespass against the firer for killing his slave the decision of the inferior court was as follows the court quote, thought the killing accidental and that the defendant ought not to be made answerable as a trespasser when one is lawfully interfering with the property of another and accidentally destroys it he is no trespasser and ought not to be answerable for the value of the property in this case the defendant was engaged in a lawful and meritorious service and if he really fired his gun in the manner stated it was an allowable act End quote. 
the superior judge reversed the decision on the ground that in dealing with another person's property one is responsible for any injury which he could have avoided by any degree of circumspection the firing was rash and incautious does not the whole spirit of this discussion speak for itself see also the very next case in wheeler's law richardson v dukes page two o two Quote, trespass for killing the plaintiff's slave it appeared the slave was stealing potatoes from a bank near the defendant's house the defendant fired upon him with a gun loaded with buckshot and killed him the jury found a verdict for the plaintiff for one dollar motion for a new trial the court not j held there must be a new trial that the jury ought to have given the plaintiff the value of the slave that if the jury were of opinion the slave was of bad character some deduction from the usual price ought to be made but the plaintiff was certainly entitled to his actual damage for killing his slave where property is in question the value of the article as nearly as it can be ascertained furnishes a rule from which they are not at liberty to depart it seems that the value of this unfortunate piece of property was somewhat reduced from the circumstances of his stealing potatoes doubtless he had his own best reasons for this so at least we should infer from the following remark which occurs in one of the reasonings of judge taylor of north carolina wheeler's law of slavery page two twenty the act of seventeen eighty six iridale's revisal page five eighty eight does in the preamble recognize the fact that many persons by cruel treatment to their slaves cause them to commit crimes for which they are executed the cruel treatment here alluded to must consist in withholding from them the necessaries of life and the crimes thus resulting are such as are calculated to furnish them with food and raiment End quote. perhaps stealing potatoes in this case was one of the class of crimes alluded to again we have the following case whitzel v ernest and parker wheeler's law page two o two quote, the defendants went to the plantation of mrs whitzel for the purpose of hunting for runaway negroes there being many in the neighborhood and the place in considerable alarm as they approached the house with loaded guns a negro ran from the house or near the house towards a swamp when they fired and killed him the judge charged the jury that such circumstances might exist by the excitement and alarm of the neighborhood as to authorize the killing of a negro without the sanction of a magistrate this decision was reversed in the superior court in the following language quote, by the statute of seventeen forty any white man may apprehend and moderately correct any slave who may be found out of the plantation at which he is employed and if the slave assaults the white person he may be killed but a slave who is merely flying away cannot be killed nor can the defendants be justified by common law if we consider the negro as a person for they were not clothed with the authority of the law to apprehend him as a felon and without such authority he could not be killed if we consider the negro a person says the judge and from his decision in this case he evidently intimates that he has a strong leaning to this opinion though it has been contested by so many eminent legal authorities that he puts forth his sentiment modestly and in a hypothetical form 
the reader perhaps will need to be informed that the question whether the slave is to be considered a person or a human being in any respect has been extensively and ably argued on both sides in legal courts and it may be a comfort to know that the balance of legal opinion inclines in favor of the slave judge clark of mississippi is quite clear on the point and argues very ably and earnestly though as he confesses against very respectable legal authorities that the slave is a person that he is a reasonable creature the reasoning occurs in the case state of mississippi versus jones and is worthy of attention as a literary curiosity it seems that a case of murder of a slave had been clearly made out and proved in the lower court and that judgment was arrested and the case appealed on the ground whether in that state murder could be committed on a slave judge clark thus ably and earnestly argues quote, the question in this case is whether murder can be committed on a slave because individuals may have been deprived of many of their rights by society it does not follow that they have been deprived of all their rights in some respects slaves may be considered as chattels but in others they are regarded as men the law views them as capable of committing crimes this can only be upon the principle that they are men and rational beings the roman law has been much relied on by the counsel of the defendant that law was confined to the roman empire giving the power of life and death over captives in war as slaves but it no more extended here than the similar power given to parents over the lives of their children much stress has also been laid by the defendant's counsel on the case cited from taylor's reports decided in north carolina yet in that case two judges against one were of opinion that killing a slave was murder judge hall who delivered the dissenting opinion in the above case based his conclusions as we conceive upon erroneous principles by considering the laws of rome applicable here his inference also that a person cannot be condemned capitally because he may be liable in a civil action is not sustained by reason or authority but appears to us to be in direct opposition to both at a very early period in virginia the power of life over slaves was given by statute but tucker observes that as soon as these statutes were repealed it was at once considered by their courts that the killing of a slave might be murder commonwealth versus dolly chapman indictment for maliciously stabbing a slave under the statute it has been determined in virginia that slaves are persons in the constitution of the united states slaves are expressly designated as persons in this state the legislature have considered slaves as reasonable and accountable beings and it would be a stigma upon the character of the state and a reproach to the administration of justice if the life of a slave could be taken with impunity or if he could be murdered in cold blood without subjecting the offender to the highest penalty known to the criminal jurisprudence of the country has the slave no rights because he is deprived of his freedom he is still a human being and possesses all of those rights of which he is not deprived by the positive provisions of the law but in vain shall we look for any law passed by the enlightened and philanthropic legislature of this state given even to the master much less to a stranger power over the life of a slave 
such a statute would be worthy the age of draco or caligula and would be condemned by the unanimous voice of the people of this state where even cruelty to slaves much more the taking away of life meets with universal reprobation by the provisions of our law a slave may commit murder and be punished with death why then is it not murder to kill the slave can a mere chattel commit murder and be subject to punishment the right of the master exists not by force of the law of nature or nations but by virtue only of the positive law of the state and although that gives to the master the right to command the services of the slave requiring the master to feed and clothe the slave from infancy till death yet it gives the master no right to take the life of the slave and if the offence be not murder it is not a crime and subjects the offender to no punishment the taking away the life of a reasonable creature under the king's peace with malice aforethought expressed or implied is murder at common law is not a slave a reasonable creature is he not a human being and the meaning of this phrase reasonable creature is a human being for the killing a lunatic an idiot or even a child unborn is murder as much as the killing a philosopher and has not the slave as much reason as a lunatic an idiot or an unborn child End quote. thus triumphantly in this nineteenth century of the christian era and in the state of mississippi has it been made to appear that the slave is a reasonable creature a human being what sort of a system what sort of a public sentiment was that which made this argument necessary and let us look at some of the admissions of this argument with regard to the nature of slavery according to the judge it is depriving human beings of many of their rights thus he says quote, because individuals may have been deprived of many of their rights by society it does not follow that they have been deprived of all of their rights again he says of the slave he is still a human being and possesses all those rights of which he is not deprived by the positive provisions of the law end quote. here he admits that the provisions of the law deprive the slave of natural rights again he says quote, the right of the master exists not by force of the law of nature or of nations but by virtue only of the positive law of the state end quote. according to the decision of this judge therefore slavery exists by the same right that robbery or oppression of any kind does the right of ability the gang of robbers associated into a society have rights over all the neighboring property they can acquire of precisely the same kind with the same unconscious serenity does the law apply that principle of force and robbery which is the essence of slavery and show how far the master may proceed in appropriating another human being as his property the question arises may a master give a woman to one person and her unborn children to another one let us hear the case argued wheeler page twenty eight banks administrator versus marksbury spring t eighteen twenty three the unfortunate mother selected as the test point of this interesting legal principle comes to our view in the will of one samuel marksbury under the style and denomination of my negro wench pen said samuel states in his will that for the good will and love he bears to his own children he gives said negro wench pen 
to son samuel and all her future increase to daughter rachel when daughter rachel therefore marries her husband sets up a claim for this increase as it is stated quite off-hand that the wench had several children here comes a beautifully interesting case quite stimulating to legal acumen inferior court decides that samuel marksbury could not have given away unborn children on the strength of the legal maxim nemo dat quod non habet i e nobody can give what he has not got which certainly one should think sensible and satisfactory enough the case however is appealed and reversed in the superior court and now let us hear the reasoning the judge acknowledges the force of the maxim above quoted says as one would think any man might say that it is quite a correct maxim the only difficulty being that it does not at all apply to the present case let us hear him quote, he who is the absolute owner of a thing owns all of its faculties for profit or increase and he may no doubt grant the profits or increase as well as the thing itself thus it is every day's practice to grant the future rents or profits of real estate and it is held that a man may grant the wool of a flock of sheep for years see also page thirty three fanny versus bryant four j j marshall's report three sixty eight in this almost precisely the same language is used if the reader will proceed he will find also this principle applied with equal clearness to the hiring selling mortgaging of unborn children and the perfect legal nonchalance of these discussions is only comparable to running a dissecting knife through the course of all the heartstrings of a living subject for the purpose of demonstrating the laws of nervous contraction judge stroud in his sketch of the slave laws page ninety nine lays down for proof the following assertion that the penal code of the slave states bears much more severely on slaves than on white persons he introduces his consideration of this proposition by the following humane and sensible remarks Quote, a being ignorant of letters unenlightened by religion and deriving but little instruction from good example cannot be supposed to have right conceptions as to the nature and extent of moral or political obligations this remark with but a slight qualification is applicable to the condition of the slave it has been just shown that the benefits of education are not conferred upon him while his chance of acquiring a knowledge of the precepts of the gospel is so remote as scarcely to be appreciated he may be regarded therefore as almost without the capacity to comprehend the force of laws and on this account such as are designed for his government should be recommended by their simplicity and mildness his condition suggests another motive for tenderness on his behalf in these particulars he is unable to read and holding little or no communication with those who are better informed than himself how is he to become acquainted with the fact that a law for his observance has been made to exact obedience to a law which has not been promulgated which is unknown to the subject of it has ever been deemed most unjust and tyrannical the reign of caligula were it obnoxious to no other reproach than this would never cease to be remembered with abhorrence the lawgivers of the slaveholding states seem in the formation of their penal codes to have been uninfluenced by these claims of the slave upon their compassionate consideration 
the hardened convict moves their sympathy and is to be taught the laws before he is expected to obey them yet the guiltless slave is subjected to an extensive system of cruel enactments of no part of which probably has he ever heard parts of this system apply to the slave exclusively and for every infraction a large retribution is demanded while with respect to offences for which whites as well as slaves are amenable punishments of much greater severity are inflicted upon the latter than upon the former this heavy charge of judge stroud is sustained by twenty pages of proof showing the very great disproportion between the number of offences made capital for slaves and those that are so for whites concerning this we find the following cool remark in wheeler's law of slavery page two twenty two note much has been said of the disparity of punishment between the white inhabitants and the slaves and negroes of the same state that slaves are punished with much more severity for the commission of similar crimes by white persons than the latter the charge is undoubtedly true to a considerable extent it must be remembered that the primary object of the enactment of penal laws is the protection and security of those who make them the slave has no agency in making them he is indeed one cause of the apprehended evils to the other class which those laws are expected to remedy that he should be held amenable for a violation of those rules established for the security of the other is the natural result of the state in which he is placed and the severity of those rules will always bear a relation to that danger real or ideal of the other class it has been so among all nations and will ever continue to be so while the disparity between bond and free remains a striking example of a legal decision to this purport is given in wheeler's law of slavery page two twenty four the case apart from legal technicalities may be thus briefly stated the defendant man had hired a slave woman for a year during this time the slave committed some slight offence for which the defendant undertook to chastise her while in the act of doing so the slave ran off whereat he shot at and wounded her the judge in the inferior court charged the jury that if they believed the punishment was cruel and unwarrantable and disproportioned to the offence in law the defendant was guilty as he had only a special property in the slave the jury finding evidence that the punishment had been cruel unwarrantable and disproportioned to the offence found the verdict against the defendant but on what ground because according to the law of north carolina cruel unwarrantable disproportionate punishment of a slave from a master is an indictable offence no they decided against the defendant not because the punishment was cruel and unwarrantable but because he was not the person who had the right to inflict it as he had only special right of property in the slave the defendant appealed to a higher court and the decision was reversed on the ground that the hirer has for the time being all the rights of the master the remarks of judge ruffin are so characteristic and so strongly expressed the conflict between the feelings of the humane judge and the logical necessity of a strict interpreter of slave law that we shall quote largely from it 
one cannot but admire the unflinching calmness with which a man evidently possessed of honourable and humane feelings walks through the most extreme and terrible results and conclusions in obedience to the laws of legal truth thus he says quote, a judge cannot but lament when such cases as the present are brought into judgment it is impossible that the reasons on which they go can be appreciated but where institutions similar to our own exist and are thoroughly understood the struggle too in the judge's own breast between the feelings of the man and the duty of the magistrate is a severe one presenting strong temptation to put aside such questions if it be possible it is useless however to complain of things inherent in our political state and it is criminal in a court to avoid any responsibility which the laws impose with whatever reluctance therefore it is done the court is compelled to express an opinion upon the extent of the dominion of the master over the slave in north carolina the indictment charges a battery on lydia a slave of elizabeth jones the inquiry here is whether a cruel and unreasonable battery on a slave by the hirer is indictable the judge below instructed the jury that it is he seems to have put it on the ground that the defendant had but a special property our laws uniformly treat the master or other person having the possession and command of the slave as entitled to the same extent of authority the object is the same the service of the slave and the same powers must be confided in a criminal proceeding and indeed in reference to all other persons but the general owner the hirer and possessor of the slave in relation to both rights and duties is for the time being the owner but upon the general question whether the owner is answerable criminaliter for a battery upon his own slave or other exercise of authority of force not forbidden by statute the court entertains but little doubt that he is so liable has never been decided nor as far as is known been hitherto contended there has been no prosecution of the sort the established habits and uniform practice of the country in this respect is the best evidence of the portion of power deemed by the whole community requisite to the preservation of the master's dominion if we thought differently we could not set our notions in array against the judgment of everybody else and say that this or that authority may be safely lopped off this has indeed been assimilated at the bar to the other domestic relations and arguments drawn from the well-established principles which confer and restrain the authority of the parent over the child the tutor over the pupil the master over the apprentice have been pressed on us the court does not recognize their application there is no likeness between these cases they are in opposition to each other and there is an impassable gulf between them the difference is that which exists between freedom and slavery and a greater cannot be imagined in the one the end in view is the happiness of the youth born to equal rights with that governor on whom the duty devolves of training the young to usefulness in the station which he is afterwards to assume among freemen to such an end and with such a subject moral and intellectual instruction seem the natural means and for the most part they are found to suffice moderate force is superadded only to make the others effectual 
if that fail it is better to leave the party to his own headstrong passions and the ultimate correction of the law than to allow it to be immoderately inflicted by a private person with slavery it is far otherwise the end is the profit of the master his security and the public safety the subject one doomed in his own person and his posterity to live without knowledge and without the capacity to make anything his own and to toil that another may reap the fruits what moral considerations shall be addressed to such a being to convince him what it is impossible but that the most stupid must feel and know can never be true that he is thus to labor upon the principle of natural duty or for the sake of his own personal happiness such services can only be expected from one who has no will of his own who surrenders his will in implicit obedience to that of another such obedience is the consequence only of uncontrolled authority over the body there is nothing else which can operate to produce the effect the power of the master must be absolute to render the submission of the slave perfect i most freely confess my sense of the harshness of this proposition i feel it as deeply as any man can and as a principle of moral right every person in his retirement must repudiate it but in the actual condition of things it must be so there is no remedy this discipline belongs to the state of slavery they cannot be disunited without abrogating at once the right of the master and absolving the slave from his subjection it constitutes the curse of slavery to both the bond and the free portions of our population but it is inherent in the relation of master and slave that there may be particular instances of cruelty and deliberate barbarity where in conscience the law might properly interfere is most probable the difficulty is to determine where a court may properly begin merely in the abstract it may well be asked which power of the master accords with right the answer will probably sweep away all of them but we cannot look at the matter in that light the truth is that we are forbidden to enter upon a train of general reasoning on the subject we cannot allow the right of the master to be brought into discussion in the courts of justice the slave to remain a slave must be made sensible that there is no appeal from his master that his power is in no instance usurped but is conferred by the laws of man at least if not by the law of god the danger would be great indeed if the tribunals of justice should be called upon to graduate the punishment appropriate to every temper and every dereliction of menial duty no man can anticipate the many and aggravated provocations of the master which the slave would be constantly stimulated by his own passions or the instigation of others to give or the consequent wrath of the master prompting him to bloody vengeance upon the turbulent traitor a vengeance generally practised with impunity by reason of its privacy the court therefore disclaims the power of changing the relation in which these parts of our people stand to each other i repeat that i would gladly have avoided this ungrateful question but being brought to it the court is compelled to declare that while slavery exists amongst us in its present state or until it shall seem fit to the legislature to interpose express enactments to the contrary it will be the imperative duty of the judges 
to recognize the full dominion of the owner over the slave except where the exercise of it is forbidden by statute and this we do upon the ground that this dominion is essential to the value of slaves as property to the security of the master and the public tranquillity greatly dependent upon their subordination and in fine as most effectually securing the general protection and comfort of the slaves themselves judgment below reversed and judgment entered for the defendant End quote no one can read this decision so fine and clear in expression so dignified and solemn in its earnestness and so dreadful in its results without feeling at once deep respect for the man and horror for the system the man judging him from this short specimen has one of the high order of minds which looks straight through all verbiage and sophistry to the heart of every subject which it encounters he has too that noble scorn of dissimulation that straightforward determination not to call a bad thing by a good name even when most popular and reputable and legal which it is to be wished could be more frequently seen both in our northern and southern states there is but one sole regret and that is that such a man with such a mind should have been merely an expositor and not a reformer of law the author has met with a passage in a north carolina newspaper containing some further particulars of the life of judge ruffin which have proved interesting to her and may also to the reader from the raleigh north carolina register resignation of the chief justice of the state of north carolina we publish below the letter of chief justice ruffin of the supreme court resigning his seat on the bench this act takes us and no less will it take the state by surprise the public are not prepared for it and we doubt not there will scarcely be an exception to the deep and general regret which will be felt throughout the state judge ruffin's great and unsurpassed legal learning his untiring industry the ease with which he mastered the details and comprehended the whole of the most complicated cases were the admiration of the bar and it has been a common saying of the ablest lawyers of the state for a long time past that his place on the bench could be supplied by no other than himself he is now as we learn in the sixty-fifth year of his age in full possession of his usual excellent health unaffected so far as we can discover in his natural vigor and strength and certainly without any symptom of mental decay forty-five years ago he commenced the practice of the law he has been on the bench twenty-eight years of which time he has been one of the supreme court twenty-three years during this long public career he has in a pecuniary point of view sacrificed many thousands for there has been no time of it in which he might not with perfect ease have doubled by practice the amount of his salary as a judge here is his letter to the honorable and general assembly of north carolina now in session gentlemen i desire to retire to the walks of private life and therefore pray your honorable body to accept the resignation of my place on the bench of the supreme court in surrendering this trust i would wish to express my grateful sense of the confidence and honors so often and so long bestowed on me by the general assembly but i have no language to do it suitably i am very sensible that they were far beyond my deserts and that i have made an insufficient return of the service 
yet i can truly aver that to the best of my ability i have administered the law as i understood it and to the ends of suppressing crime and wrong and upholding virtue truth and right aiming to give confidence to honest men and to confirm in all good citizens love for our country and a pure trust in her law and magistrates in my place i hope i have contributed to these ends and i firmly believe that our laws will as heretofore be executed and our people happy in the administration of justice honest and contented as long as they keep and only so long as they keep the independent and sound judiciary now established in the constitution which with all other blessings i earnestly pray may be perpetuated to the people of north carolina i have the honor to be gentlemen your most obliged and obedient servant thomas ruffin raleigh november tenth eighteen fifty two this ends part two chapter two what is slavery